Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Joining me today is Nancy Ryder, VP of Finance and Operations at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Texas. How are you doing, Nancy? Good. How are you? I am doing okay on this nice, rainy day. It's sunny now. Oh, is it where you are? It's it's uh, it's pretty ugly looking out in my window. No. So, you know, we've already spoken with uh, Brent over at Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is, so um, with you, uh, I'm interested in kind of getting a little bit uh, more maybe nitty gritty here in uh, finance and operations. So I guess my first question for you is, how has your job changed following shelter in place orders? There has been a lot going on following the shelter in place orders. I mean, it started... I think we actually closed the office slightly before the mayor announced, but it was a quick pivot. We had to figure out how to get everybody out of the office, how to uh, tell everybody we're closing the office. What did that mean? And then you start throwing in um, all of the changing laws. That's where I start wearing more of my finance cap or my HR cap. We had the PPP law, the CARES Act, the FF, and I'm going to get the letters wrong, FFARS. <laughs> I'm listing a letter in there somewhere. Um, but so there was a lot happening super quickly. And so trying to manage that when things were changing almost on a daily basis was huge. Um, lot, I don't think I've ever worked harder in my life than I have over the past three months trying to stay on top of it all. You know, I, I kind of have a two part question for you. I'm just going to start with, with the first chunk of it. I know you, you are a bit of a planner. Yes. Uh, and this is a world that punishes planning. Uh, we were just talking before we got on that, you know, we, uh, uh, we, your organization had plans to go back to the office and then the mayor uh, changed the rules on that. So how have you been handling as a planner mm-hmm. for the other planners out there? How have you been handling not being able to plan or have you still planned and you just create a dozen different plans? That would be more of my attack is to plan and then contingency plan. Um, So, I mean, for the case in point of the going back to the office, we and I did a ton of research and we put together a plan of what going back to the office looked like. So even though we changed that plan because the mayor postponed and the county commissioner postponed um, the sort of return to normal until August 15th, I still had that plan in place. We're still going to use that plan. It'll still be of use to us. What happened in the meantime is we uh, soft pedaled. So we're not bringing people back as quickly. We are going to let people come in on a voluntary basis, though, because we've got some people who are like, I need to get out of my house. I need to get into the office. I need to use the printer. I need to collaborate with my teammates. And so a lot of it has been trying to meet people where they're at. And so it's been a ton of information gathering and then planning A, B, and C. So, and that was true across all of this. You know, if someone gets COVID, what does that look like? 
how do we protect people from getting COVID? What does that look like? And all of the various plans and things in place to make that happen. So, yeah, lots of plans, lots of contingency plans. And that's true on HR, in the office, on finances, you know, not knowing the the PPP loan was going to come up and trying to be like, okay, how are we going to do that? Because right as we were closing the office, we had one of our biggest fundraisers, our Bowl for Kids. And so we had a month to basically pivot and turn that into a virtual event. And there wasn't really a question for us of should we do it or not do it. It's a big part of our funding. It's like, we got to do it, you know, otherwise we're not going to be able to serve the kids that we serve. And so I'll give huge kudos to our development team. They were like, let's figure out how to make this happen. Let's do this virtually. Let's make it fun. And so they did a bunch of stuff, a lot of like costume contests online and videos of people bowling in their hallways online. And they were, you know, bowling anything, you know, pillows or whatever, (laughs) milk jugs and knocking those over. And so they, you know, we, we got creative. I think that was a big part of, of that in contingency planning. And then when that event, it did pretty well, but it was short by about 50,000. So again, contingency plan. We then flipped and did a fundraiser in May to try and close that gap. We called it Bridge of the Distance. We had some real targeted asks. We got one donor who was willing to do a matching donation for us. And with his matching donation, we were able to close that $50,000 gap and actually overperform. So it's, it's been a lot of all right, plan A is not working. Let's go to plan B. Well, plan B worked kind of. Let's now go to plan C to see if we can close this gap. So I think that's been sort of the theme of our approach to everything is let's plan as best as we can, but but make sure you have contingency plan A, B, C, D, E, you know, however many you need because there's always something else coming up. But I yeah. spoke to someone else who, who described uh, her plans as being – uh, ranging from utopian to post-apocalyptic and then everything <laughs> in between. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> That's a spectrum I can, I can get on. Uh, okay. So then part two, and, and your answer is kind of started to lead into this is, uh, and, and, you know, we don't have to get into gross detail if you don't want, but I know a lot of people have this kind of question that I keep hearing over and over again, which is if you're a nonprofit, and, you know, you're you're not necessarily relying or you don't have uh, recurring revenue or, or you don't have a ton of recurring revenue. Maybe, you know, you rely a lot on fundraisers. How on earth do you plan a budget in the world of COVID? How do you do this? Well, so what you're actually talking about is a little bit more cash flow than budget, right? Oh, yes, that's yes. I suppose that's so. Okay. Yeah, because, um, you know, the. Our expenses are fairly consistent. You know, people get paid payroll every month. You know, we have certain expenses that occur every month. And so those are fairly known and that's pretty easy to do. We have looked at expenses just to take the easy part first. Um, we have looked at expenses to see, you know, what can we cut? What don't we need? For example, I went in and turned all the ACs down and we've actually saved several hundred dollars a month by the fact that people aren't opening, closing the doors and I'm not cooling the building quite as much. Um, so there were things like that where we could look at expenses. Um, but then on the flip side, uh, both the revenue and the cash, because those are the things that don't come in consistently. So one benefit we had was coming into this uh, year, we had done a lot of front loading on some of our big events, which are our major like those are the, the cash numbers that kind of come in in big chunks. 
Um, and so we were able to sort of secure sponsorships early, and that really helped kind of with the revenue piece that you were talking about. Um, we also have recurring grants. So we do have some recurring um, revenue coming in and cash coming in with that. So we have government grants that we do the work, we submit a report, and then they reimburse us for that. So a little bit of that's sort of a, a little bit of stability in there. Um, but then with cash flow, so I do a three-month cash flow every month and update it regularly. Um, and I do actually with COVID, I've been updating it through the end of the year and beyond just to try again and contingency plan, not knowing when things will happen and what will happen. Um, and definitely, for example, before the PPP loan, you know, it was a much grimmer picture because we didn't know what was going to happen with our events. You know, all of a sudden you couldn't meet for more than 10 people in a room and we have a gala in August of 800 people. So, you know, that's a problem. Um, <laughs> You know, so trying to figure that out, we did, I mean, we've always planned um, for emergencies anyways. We have a line of credit that the agency has and um, that we fall back on. And that's even true in good years because of the cyclical nature of revenue that comes in. You know, it tends to be real heavy around our events, but you often have to pay for, you know, the dinners and the expenses for events beforehand. So we needed that uh, line of credit anyway to help smooth cash flow out. Um, and we've also got operating reserves. So those pieces in particular uh, have always been there and are always super helpful in kind of managing cash throughout the year. Um, and then, again, we got a little bit creative. So we have a giving society and people give regularly. Um, they make a commitment for a certain amount each year for three, four more years. So we reached out to a few people and said, hey, would you mind paying that now instead of later if you can? And just sort of letting people know. And, and we had some people that just did that anyway. Like they figured this has got to be a hard time. I can pay my pledge now. Let me go ahead and do that. Um, and then we've had other donors. And this was part of the benefit, I think, of doing that bridge the distance is we were talking you know, openly about this is really hard time. We are serving kids and the kids are um, in our families and our clients, you know, are really affected by COVID. Um, they tend to be single parent households. They tend to live below the poverty line. You start losing jobs and then access to school lunches. All those kinds of things really impact these kiddos. Um, so knowing that that service was super important. So it's trying to you know, figure out ways, how can we manage this to get the cash in that we needed to pay the bills so that we can continue the services. And a big thing for us was to not let anybody go. We didn't want to put anybody on a temporary furlough. We didn't want to do any layoffs if we possibly could. So it was always trying to manage cash and figure out plans and come up with, again, plan A, B, and C for how can we manage this so that we can keep all of our staff so that we can keep servicing our um, clients in the best way possible. Does that help? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like all over the place, I think. But yeah. No, no. I, I just got a, a five-minute master class in how to deal with uh, a pandemic. So that, that was fantastic. <laughs> you know, your organization, and, and when I spoke with Brent, I kind of talked to him a little bit about this too, was uh, your organization has been called one of the best places to work. Uh, I think you've won at least one award, maybe a couple on that. Uh, and I've been in your office. You know, I've seen the the uh, the camaraderie there. 
how, what steps are you, your leadership team, your staff taking to maintain that bond and kind of keep normal operations going at the same time? Sure. Um, I mean, definitely, you know, we got the Zoom calls and when we're encouraging people to use that, uh, we regularly have one-on-ones between supervisors and staff. So those were done either weekly or biweekly, and they became definitely weekly or even daily, you know, especially in the beginning where it was everything seemed to change by the day. And so just trying to check in with everybody. So there was a lot of the supervisors and um, staff interaction and then definitely even by departments. So departments would get together and just be like, so what are you guys running into? Kind of that um, idea sharing and then just checking in with everybody. Um, you know, because like for an example, uh, with our match support, if one of our match support specialists who um, are the regular contacts with the matches, um, we're seeing an issue often more than one were. And so it was a great way to sort of brainstorm ideas or, you know, say, hey, they need help. You know, schools are closed and they don't have a computer or they need Internet. What can we do? And we found some free Internet services that people could sign up for and get free Internet for 60 days. Those kind of things. Um and then we have um, a culture committee, and I will say they have done a fantastic job of trying to maintain that um, the, the social aspects of our culture, that kind of um, bond that we have. So we've done a variety of things. We had a game night where people would call in, and we did it like right at the end of work. So people would call in. We played online games. Uh, we've done a couple of staff trivia, and people really like those because it's not only fun game, but it's also getting to know people. And it, it's funny to see who gets it right and who gets it wrong. Um, so those have been super enjoyable. We did care packages where we just put together these little baskets and we had some snacks in there and we had, we gave everybody a roll of toilet paper because that was back when, you know, toilet paper was still hard to find. Um, and then we had like games in there and we had like scented candles, you know, so it was sort of a little bit of everything, something to do, something to relax with. Um, and they were small little things, but we would drop them off at people's doors and they were super appreciative that, that somebody, you know, had thought of them and, and stopped by and dropped stuff off. Uh, then we've also done like, Hey, thinking of you cards. So, um, the culture committee will write notes to everybody and then we mail them out. Um, you know, just so people get something at their house to, um, communicate. And we did early on get everybody's permission. And a couple of people didn't want it, but we said, you know, hey, to connect, we would like to be able to share addresses because normally we don't share home addresses. Um, and so people were really cool about it. And they said, yeah, that's fine. And so, you know, people have been able to send cards and notes to each other, especially if they know someone's going through something tough or, you know, just to say, hey, great job. You know, it's just nice to get something in the mail when you're sitting at home by yourself or, you know, with the same group of people and you're staring at the same set of walls. So that's been super good. Yeah. For that. So things like that have been really helpful. So how have you managed to, or how are you managing the business operation side of things? Because well, one thing that we've noticed uh, a lot of is that leaders particularly in the nonprofit world, tend to be very much people people and they want to see the people they work with because that tells them everything they need to know right away is, okay, you're not feeling well or something's up with you. How are you managing just day-to-day -day operations with – you went from basically managing one office or, or managing operations of one office to managing mm -hmm. the operations of 30 offices. How do yeah. you manage to pull that off? 
Um, we have definitely relied a lot on the managers um, in that respect, as far as managing multiple offices. So once we went to uh, the work from home, we started having weekly manager meetings. We had had monthly manager meetings before that. And, you know, we would do things like talk about the employee handbook or talk about, you know, like kind of big topics and different things. But with this, it was just, especially in the beginning, it was check-in. What does everybody need? What is going on? And so like one of the issues that bubbled up, well, a couple of issues that bubbled up is one, we had staff who didn't really have places to work. Like some people were working on their coffee table because they didn't really have a good um, dining table or they didn't want to work on their dining table or they needed um, a chair. Like all they had was their couch and, you know, sitting over a computer on your couch is uncomfortable after a while. So based on that, that uh, feedback, we basically sent out a, a blast email and said, hey, if you need anything, let us know. You can either come pick it up or if it's too big, I have a van. So I drop stuff off. And like I literally took a, a small desk to somebody's house. So they had a space to work on. And, um, you know, they took a picture of it. Uh, we did the we've done for a while. We haven't done them in a little bit. Uh, we had picture Fridays and one of them was take a picture of your workspace and share it. And so people would, you know, take a picture of their office and share it around. And it was kind of fun to see the neatness or the chaos that was for different people. Um, but other things that bubbled up is um, so we have a cap on our PTO normally. And so you can only roll over so much. Uh, this year, people are having a hard time going on PTO. We're still super encouraging, like take a day off, take, you know, just walk away from your computer. But it's not like you're going to fly across the country or, you know, go on an overseas trip. And so we just made a decision to say, hey, this year, because of what's going on, we're not going to put a cap on PTO. And that was bubbled up from the managers that, you know, people had mentioned this to them or had been canceling trips. Like people had been planning on going away for spring break and then we closed the office. And so they said, and never mind. Um, so things like that. Like, so definitely the managers were super helpful at bubbling stuff up like that. Um, if people, you know, generally they know me as the IT person in the office. Obviously, you guys are the IT people outside the office. Um, but so they were real good about saying, hey, this isn't working or that's not working. And there really wasn't much that happened. I had one computer I had to replace. And we literally, it was so funny, we um, met in a parking lot and did this like clandestine swap. Um, she gave me the broken computer. I gave her the working computer. Um, and that worked pretty well. An almost identical meeting immediately yeah. after the, it was, and of course, you know, it was wound up in the shadiest neighborhood because yeah. that was midway between us. And I thought, you know, this, this really feels bad. I, I, I feel, I feel weird about this. Yeah. It's funny the things that become normal <laughs> and you're like, yeah, this is fine. We totally are going to meet in the parking lot and hand paper bags back and forth full of stuff. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's where off the computer. Yeah. Take a look. <laughs> Well, I handed somebody a mouse and they didn't want to come into the office. And so I was like, all right, I'll put it in a bag and leave it outside for you. And she's like, I feel like I'm, a, you know, like having some sort of clandestine meeting and, you know, picking up the suspicious package outside the office. But it worked. She got her mouse. And you're right. Now now we don't think twice about it. The first time I did it, I thought, oh, this is bizarre. And then I had to do it again. I thought, oh, yeah, just meet across the, meet across the street from the chicken joint. All right, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> this is normal. It's all good. 
So it sounds like the transition to remote work was pretty simple for you all from a technical perspective. And then it sounds like from the obviously from the people side of things, it was a little bit more complicated. But it sounds like tech wise, fairly simple. Fairly simple. I think the biggest thing was, um, so I had been using Zoom uh, for regular meetings that I do with the finance committee of the board, but not many other people had much experience with Zoom. Like they may have taken webinars or something, but as far as running a meeting, and so now we're doing all of our interviews by Zoom. We're doing, you know, team meetings by Zoom. So people, that was probably the biggest learning curve for people was how does the video conferencing systems work and how do I get on and what happens when my mic's not working or, you know, things like that. So that was probably the one thing because we already had people working from home pretty consistently. And so it was just instead of working home one day a week, they were working home all the time. And so it wasn't transitionally a big deal there, but we're definitely a, an office of people, people. And so that, that loss of connection, I think was the harder thing for people to um, to transition to that. And then just the scariness and unknownness of COVID. It was this big pandemic monster. And so it's like, what do we do with this? How do I, you know, and people were getting really stressed and anxious. So especially those first couple of weeks, a lot of mental health um, websites, you know, meditation apps, reminding them they have an EAP, you can talk to counselors, you know, just sort of telling them all the resources and giving them lots of options um, seemed to help. Even if they didn't take advantage of it, it seemed just knowing that that was there kind of helped bring their anxiety level down. And then as they settled into working from home remotely and, and you know, being able to connect with through the video chats definitely helped as well. But that was a big okay. part of that. You know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's great that y'all went out of your way to make sure that people had access to mental health care resources. Uh, I think that's just been one yeah. of the biggest things is uh, the the psychological secondary effects of, of COVID. Yeah. Well, and then so, you throw that they're hearing stories from families too, okay. right? So it's not only their own personal stress and anxiety, but it's what they're hearing even the big volunteers, you know, what they're going through, they've lost jobs, you know, they're not sure what's going on. And then, you know, the kids being home from school and not sure what's going on. Yeah. I mean, they definitely heard a lot of anxious stories from the people that they were, you know, that we serve as well. Well, and that'll, and that'll weigh on you too. And I know there's been that growing concern and the, the, the growing evidence that there has been an increase in mistreatment of children. And yeah. I can't even imagine what that must be like for your staff to have to, worry about for your volunteers to have to consider. So my gosh. Uh, so what for you personally, both as, you know, VP of operations and finance, and then just as a lady who has to get work done, what has been the hardest and the easiest part of this transition for you? I mean, I think the hardest is just keeping up with all the change, keeping up with all the new laws, keeping up with all the information, trying to, to, keep up with that. And then also trying to keep up with everybody when I can't just walk down the hall, like you were saying and say, Oh, you look like you're doing good. How, you know, just that quick wave. Now it's a phone call. Now it's an email. It may be, you know, this ongoing email exchange. It may be, you know, a video chat where we could have just stopped in and had a quick conversation. It's now, you know, Hey, can we schedule a 30 minute call? And then um, so that all kind of it, it was almost the information gathering that was the hardest part. And just keeping up with everything was definitely super hard. Um, the easiest part 
was really that everything was kind of already online. And because we already had some experience with working from home, it was a pretty smooth transition that way. And so people were able to like they were able to get home and, and start doing their job almost immediately. We've had some um, transitions we've been doing, like the interviews. Those tended to be only in person. Um, and so, you know, getting some parameters around what does a video interview look like? What are the new rules for that? Um, and we started off initially with the volunteer e uh, interviews because uh, we have a wait list of about 400 kids. And so in, in a lot of respects, we've already interviewed them. We have sort of a pool of youth waiting to be matched. So it's really if we can get volunteers in, we can match them with the kids we already know. Um, we have just recently started doing child interviews. Um, and so that's been interesting dynamic, um, trying to, again, get those rules around what does that look like, what's okay, because sometimes kids will tell us stuff during those interviews. And with the video chat, you don't always know who's in the room, who could be overhearing it, are they comfortable talking to us, because they know, you know, mom's listening in the kitchen, um, whereas we can... Um, we can judge that a whole lot better when we're in person. And so those were some of the things the program side had to figure out. But for my part of it, it was pretty simple from a technology standpoint and, and them being able to, it was almost like taking their desk home with them. Nice. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah. So it's hard to think of COVID-19 as having done anything positive, but are there, have there been any changes through this, through dealing with shelter in place, through dealing with just all these new factors that have brought, uh, that have been changes that you actually want to keep even after we kind of, even after COVID is a dark memory for us, is there something, is there other things you want to keep around? I mean, there's definitely been some aspects that we have um, figured out work pretty well. Uh, we've started some online volunteer sessions. And so those have actually been really well attended. Um, we tried to cap it at 20, and then we learned that, you know, people RSVP but don't always come. So we, we kind of upped that number. And the last one, we had 47 people because we really thought there were only going to be 40. And, you know, we figured, oh, well, half of them will show up, but we had a good crowd. But those have been super helpful, and they seem to answer a lot of questions, and it's an easy time commitment because it's everybody just – you know, can just dial in quickly. You don't have to drive across town. Um, so those have been super um, positive. I do like the video chats. Like I said, I had been using them before for um, a meeting with the board. Um, but I think other people have found the benefit of it. Like you don't always have to have an in-person meeting. Sometimes it is pretty easy to do a, an online meeting. And then um, definitely the flexibility of the work schedule. Um, you know, we had had people working one, maybe two days from home, but now that everybody's working home from home so much, you know, that we may have some more flexibility in that. Like, do we want to consider maybe people only need to be in the office two days a week? You know, maybe there's a meeting day and then we kind of get everybody in. Um, but if they can focus and get more done at home, you know, cause there's less distraction, then maybe we need to consider that. So that's more of a discussion we'll have for later, but definitely, um, is something we're now thinking about more having had, you know, it, it put in practice here so fully, whereas before it would be like, oh, well, should we do a pilot project or should we not? And it's like we've we've done a whole office pilot project and <laughs> seen that it can work. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's no time for pilot programs when uh, 
the government is telling you you have to leave. So, well, and we kept talking about we're building the plane as we're flying it. There was definitely yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, uh, you're building the plane and you're researching the engines and yeah. oh hey, this fuel works. And yeah. yeah, let's stick a wheel there. Oh no, that won't work. We need to put it over here. <laughs> Uh, so I, I realize we're we're uh, we're beginning to run out of time here. So let me just kind of look over my questions. And uh, I guess my next one for you is: Do you feel like the people in your organization? And this is just kind of a. I think sometimes there's been a people aren't sure uh, if people are excited to come back or if they're scared to come back. Do you feel like the people in your organization are they excited? Are they just champing at the bit to let's get back in the office and get back to the swing of things? Uh, are volunteers like that, or, or is it everybody kind of just going, um, I'm not coming back out until there's a vaccine? Where, we, where do your staff we've, and we've got people all across the gamut. So we have, uh, I would say, about, I don't know, 10, 15% that are like, I don't want to come back till there's a vaccine. And I don't want to be in the office. I don't want to be around people. I'm happy here at home. I'll talk to you later. And then we've got, we had probably equally 10, 15, maybe even 20% who were, I need to get in the office. Those are my people, people. They're like, I need to talk to people. I need to collaborate. Um, I need to be in the office. And so, and then we have a big group that I would say are kind of in the middle. So we definitely had some who are a little trepidatious. So they were, I'm okay coming to the office. I'm not super eager about it. I'd like some protocols in place. And as we've put the plan together, they feel better about it. And then we have others who are, I'm cool coming in the office, but I'm a little bit more flexible. Like they were one of the first, you know, people to go out when you were allowed to go out. And they didn't want that to upset their coworkers, right? Because they, their choices outside of the office all of a sudden now have more of an impact on people in the office. And again, I think it's partly because we're a social service. People think about how others will react to their actions. And so they, those group were interested in coming back, but not if it upset other people because they said, you know, hey, I'm more, more willing to go out than maybe others are. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it honestly was the whole gamut. And I will say part of our sort of mantra was with this plan, we're going to be fair and consistent, but we're going to meet people where they're at. If you are anxious about coming to the office, you have a high risk condition, no child care, good, stay home, we're fine. Um, if you really want to come into the office, good, here's the list of protocols, here's what you need to do to come into the office, and if you're good following those, then, then you can come into the office earlier. And if you're on the fence, then, then take some time and let's let the volunteers, the people who really want to be the office, we, we're sort of the guinea pigs. We're the ones that are going, you know, this works, but this would be better if, and it's easier to do that if you have fewer people. So we've kind of used our eager beavers to, to kind of test out all of the protocols, which has worked well. I like that. Fair and consistent, but meeting people where they are at. Yeah. So what do you think? You know, I, I tell everybody this. I'm sure regular listeners are sick and tired of hearing me say this, but I don't have a better term than new normal. I don't like the term new normal, but I can't think of a better one. So what do you think a new normal looks like for BBBS moving forward, uh, both from a an outward facing and then internal operations? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely for the foreseeable future, there's going to be those protocols in place. You know, there's going to be screening questions that you have to answer before you come in. There's going to be face masks. We're going to encourage some working from home. We're going to encourage the video chats, um, you know, like handshakes, all that kind of personal touching that we do as humans, kind of discouraging that, you know, so it's sort of this new way of approaching our interactions with each other. And I think those will be around for a while as we go forward. I, I do think there will hopefully be a slow transition back to the old normal, you know, where we won't necessarily need to wear face masks all the time and stuff, but it, it could be here for a while. I mean, nobody really knows how long this is going to last. So Definitely a lot of those protocols and things. And I think people are just going to generally be more cautious about interactions. We'll probably not do. I mean, we regularly got together as an entire company um, in person in our conference room. That will probably be a while before that will happen. But we're doing, you know, check-ins and, and our staff meetings on, on video chat and trying to make it fun and interesting and having different little games we play at the beginning just to get people engaged and you know, so I think some of that, you know, having that culture still in there and some of the new norms that we've developed as we've been all remote working will probably be stay around for a while. Okay. So my last question, but before I get to that, I want to say something really stuck out to me while we were talking, uh, and, and I want to give you kudos uh, for the servant leadership of driving a desk out to somebody. <laughs> Uh, and, and I say that kind of jokingly, but at the same time, uh, there's not a ton of people I know who would do that. Uh, so yeah. kudos to you. If I you did make any... her carry upstairs by herself. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. I'm not going inside. <laughs> uh, well, okay. You, you it was lightweight. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It really is. That, that, that It's a little thing to me, but it's it's impressive. So I, I, I want to just say Way to go. Uh, but if you had advice for anybody out there, any other VPs of finance, operations, you know, frontline grunts or C-level executives, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them about how we're planning to move forward? Um, definitely be flexible because what you think your plan is today will not be your plan in a week. So, um, yeah, be flexible because things keep changing and it's so hard to guess what's going to change next. And then definitely focusing on the main priorities and not sweating some of the small stuff. Um, you know, we we would do certain things with our Bowl for Kids event, for example. Um, we had T-shirts and we would give them out at the entrance. And it's just like, you know what, if we mail the T-shirts out later, that's okay. You know, just some of those little things that it's you had to adjust. And it's just like, well, what was the you know, the main priority of it. Or another example is our scholarship ceremony. We normally had a scholarship ceremony in June to recognize the graduating seniors from high school, and they get a scholarship from Big Brothers Big Sisters. Well, we couldn't do that this year, but but the important part was we wanted to recognize them. We couldn't do the in-person event, and so it was trying to figure out a way to recognize them. So we got yard signs, and we got a bunch of food donated that we would drop off at their house and we got packages put together for them. And so, you know, it was really about recognizing them. We lost that opportunity to have that scholarship ceremony where they walk across the stage and all of that, but still trying to figure out what's important and how can we make that happen. And I know a lot of schools were having to do something similar. 
Um, other things, definitely reach out to staff, make sure they're doing okay. That mental health piece is so important. And we especially have, um, we definitely have some, you know, outspoken people who will let you know if they're not doing well. But then we have those quiet people that you really need to be like, hey, how are you doing? And checking in with them because it's been hard on everybody for sure. Um, other things definitely, uh, is communicate, communicate, communicate is, you know, say it, say it again. Um, and then just be, you know, be clear because things change so quickly that it's confusing from day to day what's happening and what's, um, coming up. And so like Brent does a Friday sort of recap email to staff every Friday. So if nothing else, they can find out on Friday, okay, here's where we're at, um, regardless of what three or four changes happen during the week just so they can kind of have that, you know, okay, reset. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the only other thing I had written down was just feedback, getting it a lot of different ways from people. Cause again, we've got those outspoken people who will tell you as soon as you ask, but we've got a lot of really good information from just doing pulse surveys. I went and make it more than five questions. And some of it was, how are you doing? You know, and then can you tell us why? And some of it was, it was really helpful because we knew staff weren't doing great, but it happened to be because of the COVID situation, not anything we as a company were doing. So, you know, it, it was an opportunity to let them, to check in with them and let them express to us where they were at, but give us a little bit more insight than I'm not doing great and, and us not really being able to address it. But there were a lot of people who would, fill out those surveys that I know didn't participate in our all staff meetings or even in one-on-ones, they're not as comfortable sort of speaking out. And so that was super important to me. And I think to the whole senior team is to, is to have those multiple touch points. Like we would have small group discussions and we would have managers asking questions. And so it just really gave us a better, broader picture of where everybody was at. And that was super helpful to make sure we were kind of addressing the needs that we could, that were in our control. Obviously, I can't make COVID away, go away. I would love to, but you can't. I, I don't why, have that why power. Why am I talking to you? What am I talking to you for? <laughs> I need uh, my magic wand. That was going to be my request at the end of this. Well, okay. <laughs> so sorry. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I know our listeners have enjoyed it and learned something, and I hope you've enjoyed it too. It was very nice. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening. I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story, and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at itguysusa.com, and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.